Today on Overdue Rentals, a woman finds out that her family history is a little more than a crappy winery, and a young girl deals with prayer pressure and budding sexuality in the early aughts, as we talk to Catherine Hardwick about Mafia Mama and 13 on Overdue Rentals. Welcome back to Overdue Rentals, everybody. The show that talks about films that for some reason don't get the same amount of talk they once did. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blend Mike Reyes, and I don't know if we're throwing on accents here because of the show and the subject matter, but, uh, you know. Uh, it's just me. It's just it's just my natural Long Island coming out, honestly. Okay. All right. See, I didn't know because, you know, as, as we have mentioned in the prologue today, we have the wonderful, the lovely... And I'm going to just throw out the effervescent Catherine Hardwick on our show to not only talk about her latest film, Mafia Mama, starring Tony Collette and the wonderful and illustrious Tony Collette and Monica Bellucci, but we are also talking about Catherine's directorial debut, the film 13, which Correct. stars young Evan Rachel Wood and also Nikki Reed, Bradley Corbet. Uh, there's a lot of people you'll recognize in this film. Jeremy Sisto. Yes, Jeremy Sisto, uh, the ever lovely Holly Hunter. Like, just oh, of I, course, yes. How can you not love Holly Hunter? And uh, oh, what's her name? Sarah Clark. Like, Sarah Clark is one of those people that, especially just me knowing Twenty Four, but then also people who know Catherine Hardwick's work in Twilight. She brought Sarah Clark over there too, and she plays Bella's mom. But you can kind of see why because they worked on this one together. But anyway, yeah, we are uh, talking about these two. There, I'm, I'm, I think there's going to be some parallels between these two films, just because of all the, the theme of family. I mean, family. Sorry. Familia. We're not doing our Fast X episode yet. Yeah, Familia. A Familia. Well, that's, I, think that's, I think that's a sign to get Catherine in, make sure she's not part of our Familia. Maybe, maybe, maybe she is, and we don't know about it. Let's find out. Please. I mean, I, I like to think that whoever we welcome to this counter is Familia, if they want to be. So please, ladies and gentlemen, oh, I'm sorry, dear listeners, I like to keep things inclusive here. Dear listeners, please welcome Catherine Hardwick to the Overdue Rentals Rental Counter. Catherine! Hello, you guys. How are y'all doing? <laughs> well, how are you? I'm good. I got, I got, a, yeah. I'm at, we're, <laughs> we're having a theatrical release. Yay! Those things happen these days. It's, it's, it's like they went away for a little while, but they're back. I like it. Where are you guys located? I'm in Queens. And I'm in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Hey, we're right on the park. Pick <laughs> it out. Ooh. Oh, okay. yep. gorgeous. Oh, and here's Sophia. One of our stars. Sophia is uh, obviously one of our stars of Mafia Mama. <laughs> very, 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 yeah, very, very, um, very powerful voice, we, sh we should say. <laughs> Thank you. Powerful voices, powerful female voices, especially because you know, I know I'm a dude here, but I, I like to be one of the nice guys. <laughs> one of the nice guys. <laughs> not not the nice guy, but like, oh, this is all gone to pot. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. First and foremost, out of over everything. Yeah, thank you guys for doing this. And well, 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 as we jump into talking about Mafia Mama, I have to ask because it's not like we haven't seen 
comedy come from you before, but it's usually not the forefront of your films. And I'm wondering, did you have to find your footing at all a little bit for having it be so kind of like up in front for this film? Well, I mean, I love comedy. I actually, I was um, watching Lords of Dogtown and 13. To me, there's a lot of comedy in both of those yeah. too. And and of course, the other movie I did with Tony, Miss You Already, has uh, Tony Collette and Drew Barrymore is a comedy writer did it. So for me, it's just fun. I mean, I love it. <laughs> I mean, it, comedy is just, it's, I think it's one of the hardest genres to even to to even approach working with because there's all this balance and as you had said you know in a movie like 13 the meat and potatoes of that is a very serious story but then you do have these moments of punctuation that allow the audience to breathe allow them to laugh a little bit in between what's going on whereas with mafia mama this is just full bore hysterical i mean i i have to say I love that you got Tony Collette and Monica Bellucci together because they felt like such a natural pair. When did you know that that was just, that was going to work? Well, I think when I read the script, I knew Tony was attached because I'd worked with Tony before. She sent it to me and said, do you want to do this? So of course I pictured Tony and I'd met Monica for another project that we never got to make. So, I mean, Monica, iconic you know she's mesmerizing that voice she pretty much hypnotizes you you just whatever she says you want to do it <laughs> you know she's amazing so I thought they, there's such contrast between the two of them that's what I loved you know so instantly I was like this is going to be super fun yeah for as amazing as both Tony, Tony and Monica are and everything they're in and especially Mafia Mama I gotta say I don't know how anybody's not walking out of this movie not completely in love with Dante and Aldo as characters. Yes, thank you for saying that. We <laughs> love Dante and Aldo. <laughs> They're so cool, aren't they? Well, it's, it's one of those things where like, there are like, I don't know what it is because there are jokes that you may be familiar with, whether it's something that you've seen elsewhere, you just kind of know where it's coming, but for the way they do it and the way they deliver it was just so perfect. Yeah, I love that little combo. And they met for the first time on a Zoom. I'm like, let's do a chemistry read on Zoom. And they did it. And now they're literally like best friends. They go everywhere together. They're so cute. They're so sweet. They got so much heart. Yeah, I don't it's one of the it's something where it's a small, it's a small joke, but I I haven't laughed out loud that much for when she's literally saying, I'm in the dark here, and Dante just goes, turns on the light. I don't know what it was. It was just, it was just so good. <laughs> I know it, it's kind of like the dumbest joke, but how does it work? Uh, they make it work. Right. And then Tony kind of makes it work. You know, it's a figure of speech. She just throws it away. Yeah. Super cool. Well, yeah, it's just bordering on like the Zucker brothers, naked gun style, sort of just very matter of fact, playing the punchline straight, but then doing it with such timing that it just lands so beautifully. Yes, I am glad I didn't talk to you about how scary it was to do the to do comedy before I did the comedy because I wasn't that scared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I, I know we're going to jump to it in a little while, but just looking at 13 being your directorial debut, I don't think much could scare you considering um, what came out of that film and just, again, jumping from production designer to, to director. That's, that's not something everybody does, but in... Uh, uh, I'm just, I am a little bit of a mess right now because the, the tea's still kicking in, but 
I, yeah, like I just, I was late on my caffeine this morning. What's in the tea? Uh, okay. <laughs> Monk fruit. What I, what I found, what I found interesting most of all, I think about Mafia Mama is where for as far-fetched as it technically is, like the, 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 the possibility that having somebody in real life is just so out, out of the range that it's like, it, it can't happen. But yet with all the mentions of Eat, Pray, Love, while I know that is literally something that happened to somebody, that's their, basically their biography of their life. For some reason, Mafia Mama seem more realistic to me than Eat, Pray, Love in a way. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. <laughs> well, people have inherited strange family businesses, you know, so, uh, and I think I love that she had never, I mean, we did in a very bizarre way, try to keep it grounded. We filmed it all in Italy, all in Rome, you know, all Italian actors, all Italian crews. So people would always be telling me, you know, this is how we eat this. This is what we would do. You know, here's some Italian phrases to sneak in. So we tried to have that level of reality in a way. And this is why studios need to be shooting on location more because you're just getting that added investment of, okay, it might cost a little more to, to film in Rome, but you are doing as the Romans are doing. Right. And even every, I would walk into those villas, which were like 400 years old. There would be a head of a cow up on the wall. And the owner would tell me that cow gave milk to the Pope during World War II. I'm like, what? You know, in the, the, the stones you're standing on in the vineyard, where the, these are from the Appian Way. I mean, these are literally the stones from, you know, the Roman emperor, emperor's ophthalmologist was buried on this ground. I'm like, are you kidding? I saw the gravestone of the ophthalmologist. <laughs> you know, there's so much history. There's just so many layers. Well, it's also just really oh, nice. Bye -bye. Sorry, just a quick thing, because we were talking about comedy and theatrical release before. It is just really nice to see more of a, a, just a, another comedy going theatrical. And it's not like some huge tentpole IP. Like this is something that just came out of nowhere. I think I, I forget when I first, I think I saw the trailer for this when I went and saw Air a couple weeks ago. And yeah. and just the the energy to this just got me. It's like, wow, that, that it, I thought to myself, this is going to a theater, but not in a bad way. It's just like, wait, we're doing this again? It's, it's, it's not just, you know, oh, this book that I read or that comic that I saw. Yeah, that's what I'm so excited that Bleecker Street just had the faith to just say, let's take it out there. And to me, I feel, find a lot of people saying that they want to go have a good time at the movies. You know, they want to laugh now. We want to get back out with our friends and just go laugh, have a glass of wine after this or before, either way. Ooh, or during, because some theaters <laughs> will let you do that. And uh, there you go. I Go, you. Well, when I go when I go and and get ready to talk to about a movie with anybody, I go and look at everything. Whether it's I know that I can't trust what Wikipedia will say, what other websites will say because they're not reliable. I still go look at all of it just to see if there's information out there. And I notice for some reason, Wikipedia seems to think that Rob Hubel was in the film. Was he like originally cast as Paul or something, and then it, things changed? Well, we did want him to be in um, Paul. We love him. Tony loves him, but it didn't work out. Timing, schedule, and all that. So we have an actor that lives in Florence playing that part. But we wish we could have had Rob, but we have another great guy. So <laughs> just, yeah, it was just pure curiosity. Once I saw it, I'm like, because I can see, I can see him kind of in the role in a lot yeah. of ways. He would have been great.
But of course, here on Overdue Rentals, we do like talking about films that had a big amount of buzz around them when they came out, but because everything in the theater is comic book movies and all this other stuff, they don't get talked about as much anymore. And again, for your directorial debut, 13 was a, that was a massive thing when it came out. And, you know, I, I maybe it's I don't remember now or not, but like, talk a little bit about the genesis of that, because you, you technically co-wrote it with Nikki Reed, who was of the age at the time. Was it something where you met her on something else and kind of heard some stories and that's how it generated? Or how did that come about? Actually, I knew Nikki since she was five because I knew her mom and her dad. And so they were like family friends. I would hang out with her and everything. So as a five-year-old, she was like super curious and fun and climbing trees. But right when she turned 13, she changed so drastically. So I was in shock when I came back from Vancouver from a job and I saw Nikki. Now she looked like, you know, baby J-Lo and you know, just like all the hair and makeup and everything. And so I'm like, what's going on? But she had that dark cloud over her head. You know, she'd never acted before. And, and I said, what can we do? Let's, let me, let's go surfing. Let's, let's go draw. Let's go to museums. And she goes, those are the things you like to do, but I don't want to do those things. I want to be an actor. And I thought, oh my God, that's gonna be worse for your brain because already she was waking up at 4.30 in the morning to do hair and makeup for three hours before junior high. I thought she's gonna even get more in her own head about her appearance, but that's what she wanted to do. So I said, okay, I'm gonna take you to acting classes. We're gonna read Uta Hagen, you know, Meisner technique. And then I realized there were no good parts for her. So I said, we better write our own story so you can star in it and I can direct it. Sounded like a fantasy. She's 13 years old, but we did it. We wrote the script and we got it made. So I, I actually you know, paid for her to go to acting classes and I would work with her every weekend so she'd be ready to do the role. And then of course she plays not herself, Evan Rachel Wood plays her, she plays the bad influence because she was more sophisticated than any other like 13 year old actress I could find. She was not innocent enough to play herself anymore. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was incredible. And we we wrote the whole thing by acting it out. Like I was stand, we were standing it up. I would play her mom. I would play her, you know, her brother, or I'd play her friend or the boyfriend or whatever. And we'd act out a scene, we'd yell at each other, and then I'd go type it up and write it down, you know. So it was very alive like that. Now in doing some research for the, uh, talking to you about thirteen, as uh, as Matthew had mentioned, I, I went to the the know all known as Wikipedia. Uh, there was a mention that originally you two were starting to write on something that was a comedy project, and then there was a shift between that and thirteen. Do you remember any about anything at all about what that original concept was, and what sort of flipped the switch into what we eventually got? Well, yes, I do, because we thought, well, we're going to write like a junior high comedy, you know, about what what's happening in your real life. So the more I would like hang out with her, her mom, her friends, her friends would all come over slumber parties and everything. The more I hung out with her, I'm like, well, we've got to make this grounded in reality so it feels real find the comedy from real life. But the more I found out what her real life was like and her friends and her friends' parents and all the outside influences, I said, let's just make it 
really real, like real. <laughs> and don't try to exaggerate or create some crazy ass plot that we've got to win the prom king or whatever. Let's just make yeah. it really going through and so she said yeah let's let's do it you know <laughs> that's what we ended up doing and on top of introducing the world to nikki and to evan rachel wood you also have bradley corbin and vanessa hudgens and like really like right before they were they someone nabbed them for thunderbirds you had them both in this movie I know Bradley Corbet, and then of course Vanessa. She's she was the little nerd friend, and she did not like being a nerd. Like every day she would come in like tons of makeup and all glammed out. I go, Vanessa, you're gonna get your chance to do this later, but in my show, you're the nerd. <laughs> makeup off. <laughs> the film, of course, did have what you would consider a fair amount of controversy from the public when it came out. And I'm wondering, whereas for a lot of times from the outside, I think a lot of people think of that and they think that it's detrimental. But I'm wondering if it is the actually opposite. It's actually good because it brings more notice to the movie, brings more people, more eyes to it. And then when they finally see it, they realize like, you know, well, we understand, you know, what's really trying to be said. It's not like you're just trying to exploit people. Well, it was so interesting because Fox Searchlight, of course, they're masters at, you know, figuring out how to get a movie out to the public. They had me going to like 10 cities and speaking, oh, I would, we would screen the movie and then we would have a Q&A with a child therapist or a juvenile judge. Mm -hmm. People are some, uh, somebody from uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, not Alcoholics Anonymous, but other places like that, rehab centers, the Phoenix house. And so, and, and sometimes the parents in the audience would be just outraged. This is over the you know, top, this is extreme. Kids never act like this at 13 and then the judge would stand up actually I found this very mild nobody committed a crime you know uh committed had su no suicide attempts no car accidents no unwanted pregnancies this is nothing compared to what I deal with every day so this put it in perspective and these parents were just freaking out and then I would I ask one of the crazy you know shock jock radio hosts because this is over the top man I go well what how old were you for example when you first had sex on live radio he goes well 11 <laughs> so people are in denial about what they did as a kid so they thought that but they were scared because Evan Rachel Wood is so expressive and you know she's so uh, fighting back against your mother. And you see that face on a screen, like 20 feet tall, yelling at the mother. It's terrifying. It's a horror movie for parents. <laughs> oh, especially just because you look at her and she's just so innocent and docile looking in the beginning, but already early on, like she's throwing her socks away. She's throwing away stuffed yeah. animals. And I, I will admit, this was my first time actually seeing this movie. I knew of the movie. But this is my first time actually seeing it. I loved how non-preachy it was because of the fact that it just, it depicted, it did not condone, obviously, but it just depicted and it's not hand-holding the audience and it's not hammering away at what it's supposed to be telling. Like, this is just really carried by the story and carried by the performances. The performances are so good. I mean, Evan got a Golden Globe, youngest Golden Globe nomination. Nikki got an Indie Spirit Award. Holly got an Academy Award nomination for it and a Golden Globe. But they really, and when I watch it again, you know, almost 20 years later, you know, 
those performances, when people give their heart and soul and are really in it, they last, you know, you can watch it years later and you still feel it, you know, you still, it's many times where people are in tears at the end when Holly was her daughter and, you know, it's heart wrenching. And I think it's because it was very real for everybody in the movie. I had to, everybody broke down all the actors. I had to be uh, hugging people, tears, and the next person, and Holly came in, I'm broken, I need a hug too. I mean, I never had so many women crying on me. <laughs> no, but it was beautiful because it was so emotional. Yeah. Plus the thing, you know, like, again, for like a movie that where, as you learn a little bit more, uh, especially about Melanie's past um, and, and how it affected Tracy, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, you can talk about how it's just kind of this, you know, it's more of a delve into, especially to a relationship between uh, mother and daughter and, and kind of what's been affected. And I'm sorry, I'm going to go on off a little bit of a rant here, but just like anything in real life, I love the fact that the genesis of her change in essence is just the idea of wanting to be cool because I'm slightly obsessed with this idea. Um, if everybody's familiar with Neil Young's um, Rockin' in the Free World, granted there's there's a discussion of a, of a, of a, of a young baby of course the mother is a junkie and they live you know on the street and it's a much different situation but he leaves off with you know there's one more kid that'll never go to school never get to fall in love never get to be cool and just that idea that he leaves off with never get to be cool because that's so important to us at one point in our life somehow and it takes over this feeling of like it actually means more than it should and uh, i just love the fact that that's where this movie technically kicks off that i that same idea and one one scene that I thought was really outrageous and really great is when Evan Rachel Woods in the car with her mom. Her mom is nervous for her to go shopping on Melrose with the cool girl. Because mm -hmm. mom, this is the most important day of my life. It will kill you if you ruin this. Yeah, the most important day of your life to go shopping on Melrose. Yes, it was the most important day of her life for her. That's how strong your emotions can be at that moment, you know. And I just love it. The line was so crazy, but it's so perfect. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then you're just sitting there. And it's like, no, wait, just wait a couple more seconds. Just let let her let her get the phone call out. Just no, just just wait. <laughs> oh no, it's great. It's beautiful. I also love the fact that, you know, and we're gonna have to let you go soon. So I'll probably, we'll probably leave off soon on this, but you know, there are so many films, so many books, so many plays, so much music we all listen to where like, we understand that they're all talking about the same thing. But after a while, you start to realize that there are some that hit in a different way. And I'm, and I'm started thinking about it after rewatching it and go, realizing it's like, well, of course there are differences. What's trying to be said a lot in 13 is what's being said in everything everywhere all at once. Uh, you know, they're very similar for this, again, for this idea of relationships between parental and, 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 and kids. And it's just great to see that we, we have figured out ways to tell stories in different ways, but we kind of all connect to the same feeling of, of what we want, need, and is important. I like that. That's a nice compliment. I uh, loved everything, everywhere, all at once. And um, also, I was going to say, you know, right now on TikTok, there's like 1.5 billion engagements with 13 on TikTok now. Because, oh! Right? Because people are still, they're seeing a scene where Tracy's fighting with her mother and then they type in, that happened to me last week. It's so universal <laughs> that now people are rediscovering it. 
TikTok crowd, love it. <laughs> it, it. TikTok really is just amazing with the stuff that it'll it'll resurface and it'll just hold up at times. And again, to the point that we had made earlier, this really, it is both a timeless film, but also a fantastic time capsule. Because right. I was still in my late teens when this was all going on. So like I was in like tail end, I was starting college when this happened, but still it's like high school is still very fresh. Middle school is kind of still there. So just thinking back to all that, it's like, ah, yeah, this, this definitely hits. Yes. <laughs> well, now we hope that that same thing happens with Mafia Mama. People will remember. I remember where I was when Mafia <laughs> But it's going to uh, cause a lot of people to go to Italy, drink wine. <laughs> you know? And I got my nails done in Mafia Mama. Oh, oh get out. Get <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, always committing to the bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, now, thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful speaking with you. You guys, you guys are so much fun. Let's do it again anytime. Yeah. Mike's got something to say real before we quote before we go though. Please let's do because I'm really hoping Prisoner's Daughter is f releasing soon because I saw that at TIFF and I just I love what you got out of uh Kate Beckinsale and Brian Cox. I thought that was gorgeous. That is so cool. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you guys so much, and uh, we'll see you. And yay, Mafia Mama. Love it. Mafia Mama, let's go. Okay. Right. First okay. round's on me. <laughs> Take care, Catherine. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Catherine Harwick, everybody, thank you so much for your time. Um, we need to get her back. Of course, and we will. Especially because she mentions Lords of, Do uh, Lords of Dogtown. And yeah, that's which, is second, which was her second film, actually, I think. Was it second or third? Second, and that I think it was her second, and that, that's prime for that is definitely a prime overdue rental to bring up. Well, you know, it's funny, like that's one of those ones where, like, I had seen the Dogtown and Z Boys documentary, uh, because it also, I mean, it came out before they made Lords of Dogtown, and I was just so it was, it's one of those things where it's, you know, it's such a well made film that just like when it comes time to now watch the dramatization of it, I'm just like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm interested just because I just, I, I'm like, I, I just got so caught up in it already. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's always the risk you run with making these, these fictionalized versions of true life stories. And it yeah. just gets to the point where it's like, okay, you either have to have a really interesting hook. You might need to monkey around with the facts a little bit, or you might just find it, it, you, you really can't win. Like it's very, you, well, it's not so much you can't win. It's just, you need that alluring hook to get into it. But you know that's that that's a talk for another day yes. that I, I I again would love to have because th I don't know about you Matthew but this is my second time talking to Catherine because I got oh, to talk my first to oh shit. isn't she lovely yes absolutely the energy that this woman brings to this it's like I I got to talk to her for the prisoner's daughter during TIFF and just the energy that she brings to not only like you 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 feel that in her films and i know i probably said this tons of times when it comes to directorial debuts but 13 is something that you very much feel the confidence in a director like coming right out of the gate and part of that is probably because of the fact that she had such a close she has such a close relationship with nikki reed and they wrote this film together and were like together every step of the way for it yeah it's such a, it's such a strange 
kind of uh, a thought a lot of times because you know I'm not trying to take away things from younger generations. I'm not I'm not sitting there thinking that Nikki Reed's out there typing it up herself or anything like that, you know. But it's one of those things where it's like you hear the story. Sorry, I'm just gonna I'm gonna retake that because I hear the I heard the the sipping in the in the mic. Um, it's not like she's sitting there. It's not like Nikki Reed's sitting there typing up the story, but it's, she had input. It's like it's like coming from her, and it's such a strange thing when you didn't know about it to go and look. It's like, yeah, I co-wrote this with a 13, 14 year old. I also love that story about Van- young Vanessa Hudgens, like hating that she had to be the nerd and had to like de-glam herself. Meanwhile, you look at Nikki Reed and Evan Rachel Wood, and like their characters are basically the epitome of like early aughts glam. And you could just imagine like the, the, the slight jealousy. It was such, I mean, it was such, I, I remember, I can, I can just like even picture the torrent of angry voices from like the mothers that came out when, the, when, when this movie was released. And it's like, people still think that this is like, you're gonna watch this and that's what you're gonna do. And like, why would anybody want to put themselves in a lot of those positions? Great that the characters didn't want to necessarily put themselves in those positions in the movie. Um, and that's the way it plays out. But it's just like, why do people seem to think that this is more of trying to glamorize things compared to trying to, you know, dig deep into discovering what's, you know, what we have to change, what we have to keep right and, and work on and all these other things. It's always the argument of, you know, depiction does not equal condoning. Mm. And it's supposed to be that it's supposed to be one of those cautionary tales. That's like it's supposed to be the story that says, "No, don't do this." And what I really like about that is the film doesn't give you this easy sort of it doesn't give you like an easy story that's just total total narrative. It really is like a bunch of vignettes. And I remember looking at some in the research uh, doing the reading for this. There were some people that said, oh, it's just, it's more episodic. It's not really a narrative. And it's like, I think that's to the film's, the, to the film's credit, not its detriment. Well, that's the thing. It's like, yes, you, if you want to talk about how it could skip back and forth or, or just like through the events of whatever they get up to, you know, if you want to call that episodic, even if, just as far as the way it's plotted out, fine. But if you can't see the underpinnings of the idea of a woman who went through something not necessarily similar, but has her own troubles and her own addictions that has gotten over them, but just because it's, even though it's told to you, but maybe not told to you so outright in the the massive exposition, the exposition dump that people are used to, so that way yeah. you can't tell like where the actual underpinnings of the story and the flow of it is, that's on you, man. Yeah, it's, it, it really is, it, it's... <laughs> I can also just imagine some of the crowd, some of the male crowd that are like, I can't identify to that. I can't identify with this. First of all, you're fucking lying because very boys get into that sort of trouble very easily. And while our society doesn't exactly hold them to task or dramatize it as, as fearfully as they do with young women, there's still those sorts of stories going on. Yeah. But also... Again, it is not condoning. And I, these are the sorts of movies that parents should be sitting down with their children to watch and have a conversation afterwards. And I love the fact that it is not, it's not an easy story. It's not an easy ending either. No. Just that last image of her holding onto that merry-go-round and screaming. That's like, if you're here waiting for some cat epilogue that says, yeah, it was hell, 
but I got through it. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is just the beginning of her teen years. Worse shit could happen. Better shit could happen. Like, I would, this is something that I would love to see them revisit if they ever got the, the bug to do it. Because it's just interesting. I think it's interesting enough that you could follow this character again. Mm. Well, and I you was could see where she ended up as an adult. Well, I was going to say, but also I find interesting is what we, you know I was talking about, and I, I kind of got off in a weird rant that kind of went nowhere when talking to Catherine about it. Um, just to go back into that idea of like you know the reason Tracy does this is just you know the idea of wanting to be cool or fit in, um, and that's a thing that's a theme that goes on with a lot of stuff. It's not like the first time it's done, but what I like about yeah. it here and what's important about again whether you can connect to it or not is that she's seen what happened to her mother whether it was her mother's own damage to herself or what her ex who's now back in the picture did to her back then when they were, when she was trying to save him and willing to put yourself into a place that's going to possibly put you in the same road just because in the moment you can't help not wanting to fit in is such an interesting thing to think about because a lot of times kids don't necessarily connect the pieces for themselves but you know tracy does because you see how angry she gets when mason's in the in the goddamn apartment with them and how she says you promised you wouldn't let this happen or let him back in here kind of thing so it, you can tell that it's on her mind but it, she, yeah. she doesn't even connect it for herself well no because again as you had mentioned like that is the cool coolness that is oh that has been that is such a theme in our adolescent lives and even in literature and films like good or bad like you could take like you go back to the 80s and see all the teen sex comedies about being cool and losing your virginity but then you have something like 13 or even the outsiders or you know just any any sort of more serious underpinning a serious undertakings of those themes where it also examines a theme of being cool and being true to yourself yeah and it's just this this through line that anyone I think anyone should be able to relate to that, no matter what age or identity that you aspire to or that you connect with. Like this is something that everybody at some point or another is going to feel. Some people still feel it when they're adults. Yeah, no, well, one hundred percent. I'm sure that well, maybe I do. I don't know, guys. Am I cool? No, 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 Matt. We're already cool. We don't. Need <laughs> to what I also think is funny is, is that. It's one of those films too, where because you don't kind of don't think about it when you're watching it. And I didn't even think about it till just now, but you know, like when she first, you know, like they try to ditch her, she goes and finds them on Melrose, on Melrose Avenue anyway, and then they they kind of she gets embarrassed and walks out. If that woman didn't sit next to her and leave her pocketbook so open, she may have never stolen the cards, and then she may have never gotten her road in to meet with Evie to to kind of make it in with Evie. And at that point, maybe her life would have went down the the, the road the more you know, just to put it this way, the quote, quote unquote nerdier road and she would have been a little different. And it's just weird to think about that one moment. If it was a little different, what would have happened? And those are always those moments that these cautionary tales sort of hinge on where it's like, if I didn't smoke that first cigarette or smoke that first joint, which is, you know, that's a, that notion itself is very quaint and outdated, but still it's like, if I didn't have that inciting incident, I might've been a better kid. And yeah. again, non-preachy all the way and i really enjoyed that because i know both of us while there's a slight age gap we both remember those after school specials 
the after school specials that were far, were very much uh, very heavy handed. Like HBO having that whole series, life stories, families in crisis. Well, I never watched those, but I know what you're talking about, though the life stories, families in crisis yeah. thing. But that's another funny thing too, because granted, this came out when I was what 23 at the time, and think and thinking about it, what's interesting is is that. The idea of cutting, to me, like around that time is when it became, I, 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 I'm trying to pick my words. Uh, around then is when it was like more reported and more culturally. It became, it, it became, it became yeah. like a well-known thing that people did this. Yeah. Up until yeah, that it, point. It's, yeah, it was around that time that, that was like, it was a thing. And I'm like, thinking about it now, it's like, it seems commonplace. That seems so weird to say. It's well because now we're we're used to people like that became one of the warning signs. I'll put it because you, you know you go back to the '30s. It was you know reefer madness or your children listening to jazz and smoking yeah. pot. And then the early aughts, it was like are your children cutting and listening to disturbing music. Like that's I I know exactly what you're trying to say. That was when it became more. Yeah reported on and became more heavily it was more prevalent and, in the minds of people yeah, because there of like, you go yeah. it became more prevalent but it was something that was always there it's just people not weren't to... really talking about it and it wasn't really the cause celeb that it was until it, the odds yeah i mean not and not to make light of it for people who do suffer with, with certain issues that they have to get past i but i do have to i have to bring up the fact that i i we told you you've you've seen peep show right I've seen some episodes. Okay. There's an episode of Peep Show that has technically what I guess you can consider a cutting joke. It's one of the funniest things, though, you'll ever see in your entire life. Oh. It's not, not the fact that somebody's cutting. It's just, it's just the way he's saying it. You know, so for people who've never seen Peep Show, it is a British comedy show. One of the funniest things that's ever uh, uh, been created. One of the creators is also the co-creator of Succession by the chip, by the way, if you've never seen it. So um, that's, that's, your, that's your time to go out and see it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I always want to say it's Sam, and then I keep messing up uh, who is the one. So I want to look up to make sure I'm not telling it's Sam Bain, because it's not Sam Bain. It's, um, where is it? watching Succession. I just want to make sure that it is, I'm telling you. Yeah, it's just Jesse Armstrong. Uh, That's who I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Uh, he He's one of the co-creators of Peep Show and, and, and writers. So anyway, involves a lot of stuff. I'm not going to go into all of it, but the main character is Mark Corgan, played by um, David Mitchell. And the love of his life is Sophie, played by Olivia Coleman. Before people were obsessed with Olivia Coleman, I mean, people were obsessed with Olivia Coleman then, but she wasn't the worldwide star. She is obsessed with Olivia Coleman, and they should always be obsessed with Olivia Coleman. But the idea of the show is that it's told through it's all it's all first person. So when you whatever you see is supposed to be the vision of the person that you're following, and you can hear people's inner thoughts and stuff like that. It's it's amazing. Anyway, they they've tried multiple times to make U.S. versions of it. Thank God they've all failed. I watched one of the the pilots for it was awful, absolutely awful. They're, they're apparently they're doing it now with a female with female leads, but I haven't heard seen anything yet for it. Anyway, so this Isn't episode. No, 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 no. Like literally just called Peep Show. And then I know, but I was saying, like, well, minus the the point of view gimmick, that almost sounds like Broad City already did that. Nah, Peep Show, Peep Show and Broad City are very dissimilar, very different, I would say. But anyway. Yeah. So Mark's obsessed with Sophie and um, you know, he never works out. And he's very he's kind of like a pathetic kind of person. So his roommate and his best friend Jeremy, um, 
he comes into Mark's room to see Mark starting to cut Sophie's name into his arm. And he's like, oh, Mark, Mark, you can't do this. Like, no, I'm not cutting myself. It's just for evidence, just for evidence. I'm, I'm not cutting myself. Just because the idea is he, he convinced himself that he needs evidence that he was loyal to her. It's the one, it's, I do, I do the service telling it the way I'm telling it. It's the funniest goddamn thing you'll ever see in your life. And I'm sorry to anybody who doesn't find it funny. I apologize, but it's, it's funny and people should see it anyway. It feels like more the intent is not to make fun of people that do that. The intent is just... It's, it's making fun of, of Mark's... Making fun of his boy obsession. Yeah, exactly. It's making fun of something. It's not making fun of a, a serious matter. It's, but at the same yeah. time, you could well, imagine there would be complaints if that something on a show today. They make, they, make, they make fun of a lot of different stuff in that, in that show anyway. But it's, it's one of the most brilliant things ever made uh, for television. Everybody should see it. It used to be uh, available to watch on Hulu. It's now gone on Hulu, but of course it's available on Tubi and all these other streaming services people want to watch them. I think you can also see them on YouTube. Anyway, off the point, because that's what I do. Yeah, but I mean, th again, 13 is is just sort of, it's a, it, it was definitely a film of its time, but at the same time, it's not bogged down in the minutia of the early aughts that it's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, like it's still something that you could watch today. Like this was my first time seeing it, even though knowing about the film and of its not not so much notoriety, but just its notability. Like knowing about knowing of the film's existence and then seeing it now, it's not something where you sit there and it's like, oh wow, remember the odds? It's like it's very much a product of its time, but you could still show this to young people today and they would be able to identify with it. Yeah. Well, it's also one of those, and this is more on just the um, the face level of it, too, because while this is not Evan Rachel Wood's first movie or production in any way whatsoever, this was the movie that, like, put her in the eye, uh, you know, of, of people. Um, and it's just so weird thinking about it, going back to it, going like, because in my, if you were to ask me, I'd say 13's her first movie, and it was her star-making turn, and that's it. You know, and yes, it may be star-making turn still, but, like, she had done a lot of work before that. I mean, when she was younger, but you know, it 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 kind of put her on the map in a lot of ways. Oh, and deservedly so. I mean, I was I was even going to say her and Nikki Reed are just absolutely commanding in their performances, and just I'm always thrilled when young actors get to be that just technically brilliant. Like even you you go back and look at Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense, or you could mention so many other child actors that were just right from the beginning you knew they were going to be someone and not just because oh they're the, the the latest craze it's like no no you see through command and technique yeah but let's be honest Haley Joe's Osmond's career went in a different direction that he wanted and in, this, in the sense that you know it's not where you expected it to be and it's not like but I love the the newer comedic Haley Joe Osmond more oh than I love that too personally I think the stuff he does now is better than the stuff he did then <laughs> no, I, I, I don't want to call it dramatic. Or like, I understand that, but I I enjoy the the current Haley Joel Osment more than I ever. loved him in Secondhand Lions. I loved f fucking phenomenal in AI. Yeah. But then he's fantastic in like one episode of What We Do in the Shadows, which I want them to bring him back, considering how that story ended. And then oh, I'm trying. Right, well, to... here's our, here's the question. So, did you ever did you ever watch Future Man? 
No, I have not watched Future Man. Watch Future Man. Future Man is is is, is very underrated in my mind, or very under underseen maybe. Um, and I might have seen uh, like an episode of it, or started an episode of it, and I liked what I saw. They're they're very they're very. They're, I enjoyed that show a lot more than I was ever expecting. And it's one of those ones that I will put on in the background randomly whenever things are going on. Um, and he's only- Who's on with Josh Hutcherson? Josh Hutcherson's another another case of someone that was like, right from the, like you see him in Little Manhattan as a kid. And it's like, okay, I see where this kid's going. And it, that might be another interesting one. I wonder if we could get- I don't even on. know what that movie is. Oh, Little Manhattan was like, a rom-com sort of thing where it was like i think he was like six or nine at the time and it's just it's basically like first crush like okay. first crush stuff but it's like this kid in new york and it was it was adorable i don't want to i don't want to get off topic again but i will say josh josh hutcherson josh hutchinson hutchinson there we go i'm, I'm yeah. sorry i pronounced his name incorrectly in i mean not just not just in but there's one episode of the third season of Future Man that in quick succession, he does two of, I think, the greatest things I've seen in a long time. Hilariously. It's just like, just funny. Just his, his presentation is just so amazing. Um, you know, I, I think it's the, the sixth or seventh episode of season three. It's the name of the episode is the, the, the wild outlaw, the the outlaw wild Sam Bladden, is the name of the episode, uh, and kind of in the middle near the end, he does these two things that are so incredible that I can never get over, and uh, people just need to watch Future Man just so they can see that. And technically, I don't think you, you know. I mean, you need some background to know, even though they give you like a last time on last time on Future Man, what happened. Um, so you can just go to that episode and watch it if you guys want, just to laugh. It's better to see the whole thing that leads up to it, and it's much funnier. But even still, it's, it's so funny. Anyway, also what's very funny, a surprise – Not I, should, I shouldn't say surprisingly. just because I say surprisingly because you see trailers for movies, and you automatically say, like, I know what they're doing. But – and it happened with Shotgun Wedding where I said, you know what? That was fun. I laughed. Mafia Mama, I laughed, man. That movie made me laugh. And I was like almost expecting not to, but just because I think you you get in your mind what you think you're about to see, and you're like, no, I was wrong. They did they did it they did it right. They did it right. Um, yes, I find that's especially true with like some indie comedies because well, while, while this isn't like totally underground indie, it's still not like hey, Warner Brothers is putting this one out. So sometimes people are like, okay, I'm going to adjust my expectations. <laughs> Maybe those ones that like one that I always think of is back in the blockbuster days oh. uh my ex and i were looking for a movie and we rented this jeff garland movie called i want someone to eat, eat cheese. cheese with yeah which was based, yeah. It's based on his one-man show right was it a one-man show it's based so. on a play that he wrote and then anyway we ended up watching it i'm like i'm fucking terrible <laughs> so like you could like one of those indie comedies which like you never really know what to expect so obviously when someone's seeing something, like you'll see a trailer for this, like, I don't know. But even watching the trailers for this one, just Tony Collette, the energy that that woman can bring to anything is kind of kind of bringing it around to Sixth Sense again. Like yes. Tony Collette is just someone that really is so attuned to the energy she needs to bring to something, whether it's this or 
I love her in a, a potential overdue rental triple X, the return of Xander Cage, because I don't know. I have never seen it, so I didn't know if she was in it. I would love to get Tony Collette on to talk about that for the sheer fact that she just she hones into what that movie was. And she's just a hundred percent committed. And I remember walking out of that movie thinking, okay this was more fun than I thought it was going to be. And part of it was because of people like her that just knew this, this is not serious. This is just pedal to the metal fun. See, and then just looping it back around, her and Monica Bellucci just have this wonderful chemistry of delivery in Mafia Mafia. Their, 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 their relationship in this movie to me is just like, I don't know where it's gone. I don't know what direction we're moving in at any point. You know, from the, from the beginning to the end, I'm just like, I don't know. If, I don't know if they they hate each other. Well, I know they don't hate each other, but uh, I I don't know if, if she if she sees if if maybe Monica's like looking down on her. It's like, oh no, she she kind of likes her. Now is she hitting on her? I don't know. It's <laughs> it's just so crazy. But Tony Collette is one of these people that I find. Don't get me wrong, people. Stay in your seats. I'm not saying something bad. I know it's going to sound like I am, but don't worry, I'm not. Something better not. But because when you think you think about the idea of casting somebody to bring in box up you think you know like tom cruise people pay the money and that's it they don't even know what the movie's about they don't care they pay the money tony collette in a lot of ways should be that person because every i don't there's not one person i, I would ever find who is not in love with tony collette and the way and, and the, the, sh the shit she brings to the screen exactly you know? she always fucking shows up yeah and her and her goddamn power so i don't understand why she's not that same kind of powerhouse. Like you just put the name there and all of a sudden it's a billion dollar movie because who has ever disliked anything Tony Collette has ever goddamn done? Look at the, look at how people reacted to Hereditary. What was one of the memes that came from that movie? Her fucking flip out at the dinner table. Don't you give, don't you give me that fucking face. Or I was like, don't you show, don't you make that fucking face on your fucking face or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I am your mother and you will respect me. And, Again, you want to talk about genre bias? That woman should have gotten a nomination for that, because I, it was that's the that's another thing people will go to their grave trying to fight. It's like, how come you know? Exactly. Uh, so why aren't people making more of a deal and putting Tony Collette in more blockbusters? Like, I don't know if she's been in the MCU yet, but you know that. Well, but then again, that's another case of the MCU loves to cast big names and doesn't always use them correctly. But she would be fantastic. No, but it's it's the woman always fucking shows up and does the work. It's one of those things where it's not even putting her in, because like she, she's in movies that are big, and but it's just like the idea that her name alone should be that marquee name. Well, like, yeah, she should like be Like Hollywood always thought the story should be. And I'm like, it's weird that in some ways she's technically not, you know? It's like, the, the it almost feels like the industry is sort of in that middle ground where it's like, she's a character actor, but she's also somewhat of a lead. And it's like, no, make her a fucking lead. <laughs> Anyway, I think I will not stand for Tony Collette being disrespected. And I know we're not disrespecting her, but it's just, again, wait, wait we, this isn't the first Tony Collette movie we've covered either. Did you know in the estate? Yep. Again, Tony fucking Collette. Put her on a goddamn t shirt. And with that, now, everybody, you should go get your tickets now, watch Mafia Mama, come back, let us know what you thought. But of course, Mike. To have them come back and let us know what they thought, they need to know how to find us, right? How do people yeah. find us? Yeah, well, you know what? I guess I have time to do this because right now I just feel like starting the domain TonyFuckingColette.org. 
just to raise awareness for someone that shouldn't need awareness raised for them, but apparently the studio system doesn't know what they're doing. Anyway, I'm going to collect myself. Like, like the mafia mama would want us to do, the familia. Just eat a muffin. Just eat a muffin, it'll be okay. Ah, there you go. They're there homemade, go. they're fresh. When we are not- on it. Make it better. We're not trying to sell Madame Tony Collette and the delicious muffin she serves in Mafia Mama over the next weekend. We are on the internet and we're not only posting shows and promoting shows and promoting ourselves, but we're also just keeping the Overdue Rentals library stocked with over 70 episodes of guests and other movies that we talk about with this passion and fervor. So if you want to find us, Social media will be one of those, it's one of those gateways to find us. And uh, you can look us up on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, and on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if any of these platforms seem to collapse under the weight of their own massive mistakes or governmental oversight, we'll find other places to, to go because we're just that damn resourceful. Like Tony fucking Collette. And... If you want to email us love letters, suggestions, and if you want to get in on this, this whole groundswell of like the Colette army, because I know you want to, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. In the meantime, you're, you're on the internet. You might be what some of the kids call a terminally online. I would like to remind you all to take a breath, take a break, go outside, and you can look at stuff outside on your phone. But again, when you're not taking a break and when you are online doing the work, you can find us wherever you ethically source your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible. Like there's so many platforms you can find us. Oh, wait a minute, Matthew, didn't uh, Anchor turn into another platform? Well, Anchor is Spotify. So if you need to find us elsewhere beyond just typing in Spotify and or if you want to make your own show, you need your own podcast started. Just go to podcast at Spotify.com and you know, you get on your own. Actually, it's just podcast.spotify.com and you can start your own. It's, it's simple. It's very simple. Exactly. And you know what? If you're a podcast that wants to come on our podcast, or if you're a creator or actor, talent, someone, snow, you have our email address. But one last thing I'm gonna put out there before we close up shop and uh, split the rest of the muffins because we don't want them to go bad. Wherever you find, wherever you can leave us feedback, leave us feedback. We want to know what you want, but most of all, we want to keep things entertaining and light over here. But that's that's pretty much it, dear listeners. So now we're just going to close out with a solemn and cautionary love. love.